0: Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, and let's just dig into what God's got in His Word for us. Father, we just thank You that You are here, and You are speaking to Your people. So Lord, speak through me tonight. Speak to every heart, speak to every mind, speak through open ears, and open eyes, and open hearts. And Lord, we pray that Your manifold wisdom would be made known through the church, Yeah, Lord, may it be known to us, but may it be made known through us to every principality and power and ruler. May they know your wisdom through the church. May they know your power through the church. Lord, we thank you that tonight we're not reading a dead document. We're not reading a manual or a textbook. We are reading the living word of God. The living word of God that speaks to us. It's not something you said 2,000 years ago. It's something you're saying right now. So we hear it just like that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Colossians 2. You know, uh, I grew up in a a time when uh, youth ministry was really at its peak in some ways. Um, There was some awesome youth conferences, awesome Bands. There, there was, it, was a, it was a good time to grow up as a teenager in the church in the sense that uh, y- the, the youth group culture was strong. Uh, but one of the things I noticed was, and, and I, I think I jokingly said at one point, I'd love to go to a con- uh, youth conference and hear the speakers speak out of, preach out of Colossians. Because it was almost every conference I went to, it was all just preaching out of the Old Testament because that's where the stories were. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the idea was you can't keep a teenager's attention unless you tell them stories. And so uh, you if you have the stories, you can act it out. You can make funny voices. Um, and so... Uh, you know, you had a whole generation of youth that, uh, not everyone, a lot, there were a lot of solid youth speakers, a lot of solid youth ministry, but there was a lot of stuff that, you know, a whole generation that kind of grew up hearing the story of Samson or David and Goliath and, and just thinking, boy, I, I'm, I'm probably going to mess up. And I, I guess my best thing to do is not be like Samson. Don't mess up. <laughs> don't look at women. Uh, don't be like David. Don't look at women. Um, you know, and, and we were just kind of, you know, if, you, if that's all you heard, you're just freaked out. Stay away from sin because it will kill you. And you didn't know how to overcome sin because yeah. there weren't too many preachers preaching out of Colossians and Ephesians and Romans. Some of those places where it made known to you how you could live like Jesus. Yeah how you could live in the power of the Spirit, how you could live victorious, how you could consider yourself the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the only true way to overcome. If you ever notice, those Old Testament characters were great, but they all kind of fell into some huge traps because you can't beat the flesh by the flesh. So the struggle, and you know, some of those teenagers have grown up and started churches, and they still preach just the stories, (laughs) Um, but uh, a lot of them are preaching good stuff now. But, you know, you, you get those kids in college and, and they get unrestrained by their, the fear of their parents. And they're like a dog that's been on a leash all its life and it's finally off. And they kind of cause a lot of trouble if they don't learn something. Fortunately, we were, you know, we had a, a great uh, youth leader and Dave and Johnson really preached the word to us so fully and thoroughly that that we were getting we were getting to meet just like you would if you were uh, if you'd been you know upstairs at every service or whatever and so you know that that you noticed that when I had a, moments in my life where I remember and i 've shared this with you guys, but I remember as a teenager in junior high, I used to say i, I my friends would would um, you know at every break would head for the bike path where you'd at the very minimum be smoking but Soon it went from cigarettes to something a little bit harder. And um, then it was, you know, weekend ragers where somebody's parents were gone and and people would just get knocked out of their minds, you know, and all this other stuff that would happen. And I used to say when I was in junior high, I used to say to them, because I I, I still hadn't come to that full revelation of, of... you know, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I mean, I knew that, but I hadn't really stepped into it. So I would say things like, you know, they'd invite me, and out of fear, I would say no. But I would say I can't. I'm a Christian. Now, there's, there's very little that's, that's wimpier than saying I can't. I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's like Jesus going around going, I wish I could, but I can't. i I'm, I'm I've got to do what the Father tells me to do. call. he looks fun, though. Can I? Oh, I can't. Do you really think that was his life? In fact, the life of Jesus was everything, but it was, I can. I will. He knew who he was. I remember the moment it dawned, and I remember the moment the revelation just really grabbed a hold of me. I don't have to do that. Don't go around somebody offering you some bleach. Why don't you drink this? I can't. I'm allergic. Mom says I can't drink bleach anymore. (laughs) No, you don't want to. You don't have to. These are things you only do if someone made you do it. Even then you wouldn't do it, right? It would kill you. So the revelation of who I was in Christ changed everything. Thank God I'm free from that garbage. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to do that. Man, I'm free. Thank God I'm a a new creation in Christ. And, and, you know, when I say that, it sounds like I was doing that. I wasn't. But I might as well have been because in my heart I was wishing I could. I don't think I wanted to do any of those things. I just wanted to be with the people and fit in, right? Because in junior high, that's it's like the animal kingdom, you know? It's kill or be killed. You <laughs> and man, it was so freeing to realize. I, I've, been, I've been pulled out of the mud and sat at the king's table. Why am I looking at the pigs, envying them? Right? And and that attitude, I'll tell you, when that attitude changed in me, then it attracted those who were in the pit. They saw that and they wanted to come out. Nobody wants to come out when they look at you longingly looking through the window, like, boy, I wish I could do that. (laughs) Why would they want to come here? Why would they want to do what you're doing? But when, when you live as a child of God and you live as a newborn creation in Christ and you live and, and you say, I, I, I'm not doing this because I'm afraid of what my parents will say. I'm not doing this because it's against my church rules. I'm doing this because Jesus lives in me. That's attractive to people. You know? Colossians 2, it begins to talk about some, some really nasty stuff that come into the church when Paul left. And... Uh, There's some diverse issues, and we could deal with them as separate issues, but I think they all come from the same place. They all come from the desire and the need to let the flesh be in control and create a religious framework that allows the flesh to be in control. Uh, Somebody once said religion is what happens when God walks out of the room. You know, that's, now that's not what true religion is. James defines true religion as as looking after the orphans and the widows and keeping yourself unstained by the world. He said that's what pure and true religion is. But, but this dead legalism and dead religion is a framework that you create because you're no longer living from the spirit. You're, you're living by the flesh. And it is a, it's destined to fail every time. And so I want to read you what it says in Colossians 2. And you might think, what do these things have to do with each other? But I think they all come from a similar place. Can we just settle something? Number one... You are a spirit, right? right. You have a body. You have a soul, but you are a spirit. God is spirit, right? The one thing that was born again... Now, Jesus died to redeem your spirit, soul, and body. But the thing that was made new instantly and made in the likeness of God was your spirit. Your mind still had to be renewed. Your body, the same old body you had, but your spirit was made brand new. And the scripture says that if we live by the spirit, if we're made alive by the spirit, we should walk by the spirit. So when you got born again, you came alive in the spirit. But it's still your choice whether you want to walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. Walking by the flesh is a dumb idea. Galatians tells you, here's how you know you're walking by the flesh. The fruit of the flesh is, is obvious, he says. Strife and jealousy and, he, you know, he gives the obvious ones that us Christians feel comfortable with. Drunkenness, carousing, partying. But then he says things like jealousy and strife and gossip and, uh-oh. <laughs> Hitting a little close to home, I thought those were okay. Okay. I thought those were gray area things. He says, this is, the, this is evidence. This is fruit that shows you you're walking by the flesh. Then he tells you, here's what it looks like for you to walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of these things, against their, these things, there is no law. Amen. Nothing can stop this when you live by the Spirit. And when you're living by the Spirit, everything in your life is going to come under submission to God because that's what your Spirit wants. So if we settle that, we understand that we've got to choose to walk by the Spirit. I'm not going to choose to walk by the flesh because my flesh died on the cross. So it has no power over me anymore. I don't have to do what my instincts want me to do. I don't have to do what my cravings tell me to do. I don't have to do what, my, what, what, what temptation comes in me because the flesh has been crucified, and when it was crucified, every power it had over me died on that day on Golgotha. It's dead. I can still choose that, but it's got no power. I'm not a slave to it. Now I live by the Spirit. That's the cool thing about the cross. The cross is where the old you died, but the resurrection is where the new you was born. And that's why the Bible says he, was, he died. He died for us. He died for our forgiveness. He died for our sanctification, but he rose for our justification. He rose so that, that we could have a new identity. We need both of those things. And here in Colossians 2, here's the, here's the struggle here's where the false teaching is coming in, here's where the problems are coming in in the church, is that your flesh craves control again. It craves control. When you're living by the Spirit, you are, you're not out of control, but you are being controlled by someone other than yourself, right? Living by the Spirit, you're really submitting to God. The flesh doesn't like that. Your flesh wants to be in control. You in control. Your flesh does not want God, right? Your flesh is, is, is proud. you know, there's that, that's, that's where pride comes in. All these things saying, you know, just like uh, Adam and Eve tempted in the garden from the very first sin. Don't you, don't you want to be as wise as God? Don't you wish you, you didn't have to go to him for answers? Don't you wish you had them on your own? That idea of self-sufficiency. And we've been set free from that. So there's a lot of when, when when you get in a church setting, it's easy to come back to that place where we desire control and we, we we're concerned about what happens if if our church is built and our Christian life is built on relationship with Jesus and dependence on the Holy Spirit, then you can't you can't control that without him. You 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 have no hope without him. And sometimes it's just more convenient have enough structure and programs and rules that if, if there's not the presence of the Holy Spirit, the whole thing doesn't fall apart, right? That's the temptation. Let's build enough rules into it. Let's build enough structure and organization and programs that if, if the presence of God is not felt, if, if the Holy Spirit is not present in our services, that we'll keep rolling on. No one will know the difference because we've got enough stuff going on, but, but That's a tomb. That's not a church. That's that's not what God wants. God's church isn't a building. It's not an organization. It's not a a tax-deductible ministry. God's church is his people indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't have a church. That's why the church was born on the day of Pentecost. Right? So here's what it says in Colossians chapter 2. I keep telling you Colossians chapter 2 and I never read it. Therefore, verse 16. Now, if we're going to say therefore, you might have to remember what we've read previously. What we read previously was really awesome. Because he talked about how we were, how the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And in him, we've been made full. We've been reconciled to God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We died. We were made alive. He canceled out the debt against us. He reconciled us through the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them openly, having triumphed over them. So in the previous verses, he's told you that Jesus took away what made you an enemy of God. Jesus reconciled you to God. Jesus justified you. You died. You were resurrected. And every evil power and dominion has been put under Jesus' feet, was disarmed and triumphed over, paraded. Therefore, because of this, because of that, because of that reality of what uh, being a new creation means, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon Or a Sabbath day. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the old Jewish customs and traditions that, you know, many of which came from God. Some which came from man, but some which came from God. You know, the festivals came from God, the feasts came from God. But they'd become something other than what God had designed them for. And those feasts and festivals were meant to point to something, not to be the point. He says, "No one is to act as your judge." So they had people come in their church. We see this in Galatians; it happened. We see it in the Corinthian church; it happened, where people came in and started telling them they weren't real believers unless they followed all these traditions and customs. Now, you had Jewish believers in this church, but you also had Gentiles who had no idea what you were talking about. And people came in and said, "You're not. You don't even do this. You don't. You, you eat. You're eating bacon." You know, you're 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 not celebrating this feast. Well, you're you're not you're not using the lunar calendar. Like, I mean, they, you know, they're getting upset at these people. I wish people would get upset at you right now if you don't do that? And they're not Jews either. <laughs> the Jews don't care what you do. It's it, it's other Christians, anyways. Respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He says these things are a mere shadow. Of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Now a shadow has a purpose. Shadow lets you know there's something there right. That shadow had a purpose. It pointed us to Jesus. In fact every feast in the Old Testament. Not only looked back into what God had done. But it looked forward into something that God was going to do. And had fulfillment right. And so, you know, uh, the Passover looked back and said, he led us out of Egypt with his strong arm and a mighty hand. He led us out of Egypt. He, he destroyed the Egyptians, but he saved us. And the angel of death passed over us because of the blood on the door. Well, that, that looked back and remembered what God had done. But even bigger than that, Even bigger than the rescue from Egypt was what Jesus was going to do. That's why it was the blood of the lamb on the door. That's why the angel of death passed over when he saw the blood. It was not a random thing. It was pointing towards what Jesus would do. So he says, you've got the substance. Why are you obsessing over the shadows? Now in a minute, he's going to actually talk about people that are coming in and saying, unless you're having a dramatic vision... And have angels appear to you and you have a vision from God. If you have a vision, you're, you're a little bit better than the rest of us. I mean, you have to have your own vision quest, your own experience, this supernatural, I've been lifted up to heaven and saw something moment. And in and, and all of these things... Now, listen, I believe in dreams. I believe in visions. I believe in prophecy. I believe in all these things. But the way he describes it, we're not talking about something that's coming and submitted to the head of Christ. We're talking about people using these things to pump themselves up and saying, This is why I'm a bit, this is why you need to listen to me, because look what I've seen and look what experiences I've had. You know, signs and wonders are meant to be part of the church, Mm -hmm. they're meant to be regular. But signs are not the point, they point you to something. Right? Right. Right? When you're heading to Edmonton, you're driving on the highway to Edmonton, and all of a sudden, man, you, you got the tunes on. Yeah, you're looking out. Finally, the snow has melted. You're, you're, you're plowing along, and then you see a sign, Edmonton, 120 kilometers. You don't pull over. I see it. We're here. Everybody get out. Edmonton. The sign says Edmonton. All right. Praise the Lord. We're at Edmonton. No, you're at a sign that's pointing you to Edmonton. The point of the sign is to point you to Edmonton. The points of the signs is not the sign. The point of the sign is to point you to Jesus. That's why it's a sign. That's why it's a sign. It's not the point. There's been great revivals, great revivals that were full of signs and wonders. And often where they went off track, if they went off track, not every revival went off track. But if they went off track, the ones that went off track were where people got obsessed with the signs rather than the one the signs were supposed to point to. They start from a good place and then you get a bunch of hangers on that come and they come for the signs. They don't come for the one who's doing the signs and the signs are pointing to. It's easy to get off on that. It's easy to get off track. He says shadows, I mean there's nothing wrong with shadows in this context. We're not talking about darkness. That's not what shadow means here. shadow means it's, 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 it's a faint version. It's, it's a foreshadowing of something that's going to come. And he goes, but you have it now. The substance belongs to Christ, so seek Christ. Then he says this, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. So he's saying, you know, they've had people that came and 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 we could kind of piece together that there was a sort of teaching there that said you know uh, you need to harshly treat your body so you can come up to a higher spiritual plane now that shows up in foreign religions and that's shown up in christianity at times if you if you treat your body hard enough and, and if you if you you know if you if you torture yourself or you suffer enough then you'll come to a higher spiritual plane here they're even worshiping angels Believing if I worship the angels, then uh, the angels will show me things I haven't seen yet. and They're getting caught up in the in inflating of their mind rather than the spirit. Taking his stand on visions he says he's seen. When I was up there with the angels, I saw this, I saw that. Now, we always know that you can't let the counterfeit steal the real from you, Right? right? I mean, come on, the New Testament is full of visions. Yeah. It's full of dreams, yeah. right? So you don't throw out visions because these people are misusing them, yeah. right? Where are these visions coming from? They're coming from their head, yeah. right. and they're based in all, they're proud of their experience. Their experience is a cause of pride. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Yeah. It's a big difference, right? Yeah. You know, uh, I knew I was supposed to become a pastor, the thing that finally pushed me to the point where I said yes to God was a vision I had on a plane. It was literally up in the air. <laughs> Angels didn't take me there. Continental Airlines did. Um, but it was an open vision that, that changed my life forever. I can actually look back to every major decision and moment in my life, including meeting my wife, and stepping into new seasons of ministry, and there was a prophetic word going with each of those seasons of my life. But all of those things came in submission to Jesus, were in line with his word, Mm -hmm. were confirmed by the spirit, not only my spirit, but the Holy Spirit through other voices. And those things didn't make me better than anybody else. In fact, they're more humbling than anything Mm -hmm. because you understand that God's at work And he's at work in Brent, he's at work in me, he's at work in Trudy, he's at work in all of us. And and so, you know, we've been in, I've been in communities, little communities where the whole thing went off the rails because... There'd be there'd be people that come up and, and and try to take over, and they would say, "Well, I saw, you know, I'm, I'm the one having dreams here, and I had a dream about this, and I dream about that, and I dreamed about this." And there was no submission to the head, there was no uh, uh, alignment with the word, there was no confirmation of the Holy Spirit. It was just merely puffing yourself up. So there's a difference. So you don't throw out the good because there's bad. But in this church, this is what they're have. They're having people that are taking over, and and then and. Here's what's happening. He says, "If you've died with Christ." Remember, he says the, the solution to this, this is why it's wrong. These guys aren't holding fast to the head. So both the people that are putting unnecessary rules on you and the people that are insisting you have a, you live by an experience, neither one of these people are holding on to Jesus, <laughs> holding on the head." And he says, "From whom the whole body, the joints, the ligaments being joined together, Grow with the growth which comes from God. And he says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. They look like wisdom. Why in the world does this church feel like they've got to create extra biblical rules for everybody? Don't touch this, don't taste this, don't, you don't. Because they're no longer holding fast to Jesus. This is what you have to do. If you cut out relationship with God, you have to do this to keep the whole thing running. Right? I mean... How does the scripture command us as far as, let's talk about eating and drinking, because that's one of the things he's talking about here. So people are being condemned based on what they eat. They're condemned based on what they drink. Paul, remember when he actually gives instruction on this, he doesn't say it's a free-for-all. He says there's times you shouldn't eat certain things. times you shouldn't drink certain things for the sake of your brother, so you wouldn't cause them to stumble. You see the framework he puts it in? He doesn't say never eat this, never drink this. He says there are times where it's good and there are times where you need to be on behalf of your brother out of love. You don't do it. See, now he's he's trusting that you're having to have a relationship with Jesus. You're having to be led by the Spirit and you're having to be walking in love. Mm -hmm. All of these things, that's part of the Spirit-led life. Mm -hmm. But you take the Holy Spirit out of it. Now, I just got to make hard and fast rules about everything for fear that I'm going to, you know, go way into the world. Well, as Dave McGrew said one time when he was here, if you discipline the flesh by the flesh, you'll only strengthen the flesh. That's why some of the greatest sinners I've ever known have been ex-legalists who fell away, who backslid. And they sin hard because they've made their flesh strong. Rather than their spirit strong, and then if they come back to Jesus, sometimes they're harder on everybody else. The minute the minute they got the minute everything is the minute they've come to the altar, then they become angry and and judgmental to other people. You you know it, it's funny that we always draw the line right below us. That's where the line is. That's where the sinners are. Just this is the level of righteousness where I am. Everybody, I mean. Everybody who was where I was five minutes ago, you're going to hell, guys. I'm the, old, I'm the line here. Well, there's no way to live. Paul's not advocating, uh, you know, in, in other places. He has to balance this out and say there's people that are just like saying, well, it doesn't matter what we do. He says, absolutely, it matters. But you've got to be led by the Spirit. You've got to walk by the Spirit. You don't just walk by a different version of the flesh. Now, he says this. He says, when someone says, don't touch this, don't handle this, don't taste this, it looks like religion. It looks like wisdom, actually. He says, it has the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. Now, this, this phrase, self-made religion, when you look it up in the original language, it can be translated self-made religion. It also is translated in some translations as worship of the self, worship of the will. Self-worship is literally what it says in the Greek. It's this self-made, self-promoting, it's, it's a, a, a self-sustaining, it's, it's, it's a worship that de- just really depends, a religion that depends on your willpower and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Boy, what a shame, hey? Here you are. You went to all the trouble of making all these rules and it doesn't actually help anybody live a holy life. That's a real kick in the butt. Doesn't actually help anybody get free. Just scares them enough. <laughs> but there's no life in it. There's no power in it. There's no victory in it. There's no ability to overcome. He says there are no value against fleshly indulgence. He says this. I could stop there because that's where the chapter ends, but I think you should probably read what's, what comes next in chapter 3. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the earth, things that are on the earth. See, here's how you live a victorious life. It's not how they were doing it. This is how you do it. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. I want you to consider the sandwich that he's giving you right now. He's giving you a delicious sandwich. (laughs) Because right in the middle, he's got, you know, right in the middle of all this that we've been talking, we've been reading it tonight is where we spent most of our time. He's talking about all the the issues that are coming up with the church, with the people that are coming in and saying, don't touch this, don't taste this, you know, and you got to have these experiences and all this. But remember, we started reading tonight with a therefore, and what came before it was telling you what Jesus did for you, setting you free from the law of sin and death, giving you life through the cross and the resurrection, disarming the evil powers that had control over you. And then he says, that's why you don't need to live this way. That's why that that fake religion is not going to do you any good. Then he goes back, in this sandwich, you should Not eat the the meat in this sandwich because he's telling you the meat that they're giving you is bad. The the, the, the canned tuna that they're giving you is terrible. But the bread is delicious. The bread is what Jesus did for you here, all right? This metaphor doesn't hold up too much. But, you know, let's (laughs) follow me. (laughs) Jesus' parables, you could read them forward and backward and they held up. Mine don't do so well. But you get the point here. In the brackets is all those stuff you shouldn't do. But here's why, what Jesus did for you, how he made you alive, how he defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's why we don't do this. Then brings you back. So keep seeking the things above where, who is? Christ is, not the things that are on the earth, for you have died. You've died. Your flesh is dead. Dead. Doesn't mean you're not gonna have to fight your flesh. It means it has no power over you. So don't give it power by making it the boss again. And you can make your flesh the boss through religion. You can make the flesh your you can make your flesh the boss by going to the bar every night, but you could also make your flesh the boss by living a very religious Pharisee life. Either way, you're living by the flesh. And there's no life in it. He says, your life, oh wow, is hidden. With Christ in God. Hidden doesn't mean nobody, you can't find it. Hidden means it's, it's deep, deep inside of Christ. It's deep inside of Christ. You can't separate you from Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, there's a therefore again, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked, it's past tense, when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices, but you put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see, he, he confronts the problem in the church, which was you had people come in and once again, their life was not centered on Jesus. Their teaching wasn't centered on Christ. It was on, you better eat this. You better stay away from that. Don't touch this. Don't handle this. It was about exalting experience above relationship with God. Experience above the word of God. Experience above the true spirit of God. Now, Listen. He pointed out two things. He said, when you, when you did that stuff where you said you weren't allowed to eat this, you weren't allowed to drink that, you weren't allowed to touch this, you weren't allowed to taste that, he said that was all about your flesh, right? Your, your body. Mm-hmm. Severe treatment of the body, you know, punishing yourself, trying to make it, you know, trying to get it under control, but you're punishing your flesh with your flesh so it's got no power in it. Right. You're, you're sending the dog to guard the meat. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Then, when he talks about experience, these visions that people are saying they're seeing that they make them better than everybody else, what's he talking about? He said it's, it's through, the, through the futility of their mind, the bloating of their ego. So now he's talking about being led by the soul. In one sense, he's, he's talking about, you know, letting your flesh, now he's talking about your, your soul, now, you know, that being, you, you know, he's talking about the inflating of the mind, the puffing up of the mind. Either way, you're not being led by the Spirit. He doesn't just say, don't do that anymore, guys. He says, here's what you do. Set your mind on things above. Here's what you do. Consider yourself dead to all that stuff. You notice that Paul doesn't walk out of here and say, yeah, it doesn't matter. Sleep around. Get wasted. Do whatever you want to do. No, he says, you know what you need to do? You're not going to do that stuff, but here's how you actually overcome that stuff. You realize and recognize that I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been recreated in Him. That part of me died, so I'm dead to immorality. I don't have to sleep around. I'm dead to idolatry. I'm dead to impurity. I'm dead to anger. I don't have anger issues. I'm dead to that. Someone says, well, yeah, I sure feel like I have anger issues. All right, I get it. You're, 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 you're dealing with that. You're fighting that. The answer to your anger issues is not to get in the bathroom and punch yourself in the head. It's not to get a, it's not to get a stress ball. It's not to get a pillow that you can punch. It's to, it's, it's to lean into Christ. It's to lean into the spirit and it's to consider, listen, this, this, doesn't, this is dead. It doesn't feel dead right now, but it's dead. When I was a teenager... I had desires that didn't feel dead. Just be blunt. Come on, a teenage boy has things that don't feel dead. For the podcast, we're laughing at something completely different than my last statement. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say or do anything weird. You had, you had things that did, you felt like a struggle. still feels like a struggle here. You know, I consider myself dead to anger, but but me and my wife, we fight every day. I don't know how we we end up yelling and slamming doors. And, and, and so, if I'm dead to that, why does it keep happening? Why does that keep happening? Well, it's part of renewing your mind. It's part of disciplining yourself according to godliness, rather than just disciplining the flesh by treating the flesh badly. Part of it is walking and growing closer to Jesus every day and understanding that even if I slip and fall, I'm getting back up again and that's not who I am. That person is dead. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Part of it is just living by faith. Like Paul says, I haven't got there yet. I haven't attained perfection yet. I'm not a perfect man yet, but I know who I am. And I press forward and I let go of the things that are behind me. I press forward towards the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, unless you start to see that, you know, listen, I, I understand that, that you might say that's not where I am right now, but that's has got to be where you're headed. Mm-hmm. And you'll never get there until you consider that this is a spiritual battle before it's a battle of the flesh. And it's going to be won on the battleground of the spirit. That's where you're going to win this. That's where you're going to overcome this. That's where your flesh is going to learn that it doesn't run the show. So, people with anger issues. Some people I've, I've met overnight when they got born again, it's just like their anger went like that. Just didn't have it anymore. Just went away. Other people, they had to walk through it and work on it. But either way, do it by the Spirit of God. Either way, do it by the Spirit of God you go in a room and smack your head and say, stupid, stupid, stupid. There's no life in that. There's no power in that. There's life in the spirit. So set your mind, set your mind. Boy, if there's something I could say to our, our generation right now, our culture right now is that you are allowed to set your mind on something. In fact, you need to set your mind on something. You are not a slave to the last thought you had or the last feeling you had you can choose what you're going to set your head on you can choose what you're going to focus on you can't fight you can't stop temptation from coming but you sure can stop from giving it a room in your house feeding it a microwave dinner you know you can you can set your mind on something and i know when you first start doing that it seems like a struggle because all our life we've just been taught whatever we feel is natural and normal. And if just because I feel that I should explore it and process it. Well, some stuff needs to be processed through. And some stuff just needs to be thrown out right away. You know, Jesus, there were times where he, an evil spirit confronted him. And he didn't feel the need to interview it like like a dateline interview. He just said, shut up and come out, you know. When he was tempted in the desert, he did not reason with the devil. He... Right. Gave him scripture and rebuked him. I mean, he, that was how he dealt with it. And so I understand the reality of some some stuff's going to come at you. That's not a sin to be tempted. But it doesn't have to take a room in your house. It doesn't have to make a nest in your head. You can set your mind. You can say, I... I in a place of depression, in a place of panic, in a place of fear, in a place of anger, and of all these things, rather than beating yourself up, why don't you just set your mind on things above where Christ is, where you are. It's all about coming alive to who you really are. I love that, that, and we'll close with this thought. This verse, he says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we'll be revealed with him. It, it, It mirrors what he said elsewhere when he said, that it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we'll be changed, we'll be like him, we'll be revealed. He says here that when Christ is revealed, we'll be revealed. What he's talking about is who you are in Christ. He goes on and he says, you've already been recreated, and the recreated you looks like God, looks like Jesus. There'll be a day when you look like that on the outside. When Christ is revealed, we'll look like that on the outside. But right now, you need to come alive to the reality that that is who you are on the inside. That's who you are right now. That part of you has to rule. That part of you has to be in charge. That part of you is the part of you that has the power. I believe that to the very core of my being. So if we begin to fear that people are going to do the wrong thing, if we cut out relationship with Jesus and we cut out reliance of the Holy Spirit then we need to create a framework of rules that will keep you in line. But what will happen is it'll just create rebellion within yourself and it'll have no power over your flesh. And what he's saying is there's, there's a way. There's a way to see real victory in your life and that's to realize that this part of me is dead. This part of me is alive. When it comes to building a church together or being part of a church together, sometimes the temptation is to make rules where the Scripture didn't make a rule just because it's easier that way. But uh, I think we need to create a culture and a a lifestyle that says, "Let's let's all obey God, let's obey the Word, but let's rely on the Holy Spirit. I knew this from a young age that I I attended a church. I was part of a church. Attended a church is dumb. I was part of a church because attended a church makes it sound like church happens on Sunday. Being part of a church, you understand church is all your life. Church is all the time. But I knew I was part of a church that would fall apart without God. Do you know what I'm saying? Would fall apart without the presence of God. I knew we had so built our church, and what we believed on God being alive and present. That without him, we would have nothing. And there's a party that realizes that and says, uh-oh, well, what happens if, the, you know, and you don't need to be afraid that God's going to walk out, because why would he? You're his people. He lives in you. And I know that that happens sometimes when we, when we desire control back. We make it so that if God were to, if, if, if the presence of God wasn't here, if the Holy Spirit, if people weren't connected to Jesus, they'd at least be connected to leadership. Or they'd be connected to the doctrine and dogma of the church. They, they'd be connected to the rules. They'd be connected to some programs. At least if they're not connected to Jesus, they're connected to something. And I understand why you'd want to go there. But in the end, what that trains people to be is fleshly people. We want to train people to be reliant on the Holy Spirit, obedient to the word of God, full of God, full of life, full of victory, full of faith, full of power, full of expectation that God is doing something in me and he's doing something in you. That doesn't mean there's no discipline or no rules. or No, but it means that it comes from him, the head, and not from us. And we submit ourselves to the head. And that's where the growth comes from. Would you stand with me?